things on IMDb, that doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> okay, okay, you're right. Thanks, sorry, dude. Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to 80s entertainment, to that, teen entertainment of the 80s and beyond. <laughs> Let's start over, no. <laughs> um, I, this is the way my brain works, it's ridiculous, it's like a hamster on a wheel with a shiny object as a distraction. The uh, This episode is going to be devoted to uh, Richard Donner, who just passed away a couple weeks ago, and you want to talk about the two uh, teen-oriented movies that he was involved with. Uh, Goonies and Lost Boys, and uh, if you're an Oregonian, Goonies is law. It is worshipped up here. I know there's other movies like Stand By Me, Kindergarten Cop, and Short Circuit, but they're nothing in comparison to Goonies. It is legendary. But it's not like that well, anywhere else. I would say that out of all those movies, Goonies probably holds up the best, at least in entertainment value, but I admit that I haven't attempted to watch Short Circuit or Kindergarten Cop in a yeah, both, years. Yeah, both those are slight. I think Stand By Me is actually just truly incredible and holds up very well. But well, that makes sense. What what I think Goonies really resonates with is the fact that it's about you know kids on the outside. You know they're they're uh, yeah. they're they're poor, they're misfits. You know they're just kind of like in their own little clique, and the fact that they're you know in the movie that what they their parents have worked for is being taken away. And this is their one last chance. I think everybody kind of can root for that underdog idea. And uh, it's not just generational. It's an idea that's universal for any age. Just trying to save, you know, your your home. You know, uh, and it's more than just an actual house. A home is more than just physical property. Yeah. It was the, yeah, the relationships and and what they had created there. I think it's, you know, the whole thing is just rather sweet. And even though, like, the two brothers clearly drive each other insane, which is very normal for siblings, it's just, like, super nice when he's just, like, you know, he, like, hugs them and he's like, I'm sad too, you know, like, even though they're trying to be tough, it's like, they all care a lot. And you can see that throughout the whole movie, that they care about, their home and each other. It's so funny. I was thinking about this at work today. Um, I'm the older one, and yet, if you knew the dynamics of our relationship, you would think that you were the older one because I purposely, especially in my teens and early 20s, would annoy the shit on you just to see how much you could take. And I'm a fucking monster. Um, I mean, I, I think that's a, a normal dynamic with, with siblings regardless of who's older and who's younger i think in fact if if anything to me it makes sense that the older sibling would do that to the younger sibling oh but i'm an asshole i feel i when i look back now i feel like the older brother on wonder years (laughs) i mean i didn't bully you but there were times i wanted to see no you didn't but you were frustrating it yes but a lot of it honest to god i was trying to get you to break this the need to make you laugh ruled my world. Oh, I was like, break my spirit. Jeez, no, no, that is no, cool. no. I wanted to see if you would crack up eventually. If I could annoy you so much that you eventually it came back around to being hilarious, which is a rule that they use on Family Guy now. <laughs> well, I think that more times than not, that approach actually did work. But I'm pretty sure that that 
uh, sibling dynamic that we have that people love so much about our podcast. <laughs> well, I think it separates is, a lot of um, the shows. What? I think it separates a lot of shows. How many shows do you know that have siblings? I don't know. I don't listen to other podcasts. I only listen to us because I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You heard me right. Um, no, what I was going to say was I think that our weird sibling thing, which I don't really think it's that weird. I think a little, lot of siblings really do have, like, you know, a special dynamic that their parents don't understand like we did. Um you know, is is relatable for most uh, people who have a sibling, even if you have a love-hate relationship with them, which we've definitely gone back and forth a lot over the years. Yeah. But I will say that um, I will blame, I mean, I'll take the blame for this, but it was a joint effort uh, of why I couldn't eat ramen noodles for like 20 years. <laughs> Do I not know this story? <laughs> way off I time. just ripped I just remember that we had one of those times where we were antagonizing each other to the point where I think I was like hysterical and like trying to eat while trying to eat ramen noodles and it just like I don't even remember like what we talked about or what it was but I ended up being hysterical to the point where I could not eat and I think I just it made my stomach hurt so bad from all the stupidity and laughing that I couldn't eat them for like 20 years. Oh, I don't know. You probably shouldn't anyway. Most of the ramen noodles that people eat are fucking garbage. No, I mean it's so terrible for you anyway. But but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, let's go back to the movie. Um, yeah, their relationship Sorry. yeah is contentious and but there is genuine love and that's something you really connect with. But that's kind of the way with all of them. Those guys fight yes. constantly. They have a love-hate relationship with each other. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that sort of... I mean, that's what I think real friendships are to the point where you're almost like siblings and, you know, you can be honest with each other even if it's hard and, you know, you pick on each other. And I mean, I think, I think they have a... It, whether or not they did something in advance to develop that or it came naturally, it truly, truly seems like a group of, of kids who are very good friends. They are, but it's funny to think that maybe they're also the only people who could stand each other. You know what I mean? Because each maybe. one has, <laughs> has an element that makes them an outcast and you just stick to the people who will just be by your side because you have Mouth who won't stop just jabber-jawing and wise-ass and uh, Data, um, who's off in his own little world creating gadgets, which usually end up a disaster. Um, Mikey, who, um, I can, as far as I can tell, his only weakness is not his asthma, but his dreamer aspect. Like, he doesn't seem to have a foot in reality, and that's a thing that Brand no. really has a problem with, because Brand is older and cynical. Yeah, he is really, like, so dreamy about this whole pirate treasure thing and uh basically <clears throat> is so optimistic and uh naive a little bit about this whole situation that he really gets them in the shit the uh chunk i would say actually is i said uh, mouth was the most obnoxious no chunk is clearly the most obnoxious but he's also the most abused he's the one who yes. seems like he really needs the friendship he desperately wants that attention from them I don't know what his life is like at home, but he's the one who goes through this abuse because there's no one else around. 
Mm-hmm. The truffle shuffle. Jeez, what a humiliating thing to make a child go through. Yeah, I that I think that's the hardest thing for me is when you see like the the really uncomfortable like you know bullying that you do even with friends. Yeah. The uh, now you have not. I don't think you've ever been to Astoria, have you? No. I didn't think you had taken that trip. And, of course, I've been there dozens of times because it's not that far away. But uh, that is, when you go up on that road, literally those two houses are across the street from each other, or across the path from each other. It's just like mm-hmm. a little cliff. And those two houses are right there. And, sadly, someone bought them and said, get the fuck off my property and cut off the path. Because everybody used to be able to just go up there and take pictures. And you just donate money to the people who own the house. And yeah. I just flabbergasted that you knew what you were buying. Unless you're a moron, you knew what you were buying. And the, the realtor probably told you, hey, everybody loves this movie and everybody comes up here visits, especially for um, every five years. We ha- Well, actually, I think it's every year we have an, uh, a celebration, but there's big ones every five years. And yeah. they said, no, get off our property. I was like, if I was the city, I would buy both of those houses off of them yes. and then turn yes. them into a museum. Just recreate yes. the house inside and make the other house that you only see data fly from, you make that into the museum, which, you know, that would save on the money they're paying downtown for it. I mean, I think it would be in their best interest, especially if the people who own the homes uh, are not good sports about this. No. I mean, I would imagine that this is a huge thing for the town that brings... I mean, maybe not the only reason, but a huge reason, huge thing that brings in tourists, thus, you know, helping the economy of the town. Right. It's now become like a hipster haven, so it's starting to get bought up and get Mm. super expensive. But for the longest time, that was it. Uh, Astoria was basically like a sketchy little town. I always called it a stabby little town because when we first went there in 2010, I was like, I think I might get stabbed here. But they... uh, they should have put more money into a whole film celebration because if that was cut off, they still have, you know, Kindergarten Cop, that school is literally like two blocks away from that house. And then uh, hmm. Short Circuit is just shot all around uh, Astoria. So I just kind of surprised that they just put it all in this one movie when all three were hits. Yeah, I don't know. But there is something about this movie that resonates. It's not just the fact that they're trying to save their town. This is a big adventure spielberg really went through and uh made sure that this was a big adventure for kids to love and yes it is directed by richard donner and he does most of it but steven spielberg would come in he would set up the work with people to set up the the traps and the design of like the adventures and Mm -hmm. shoot those so they're more exciting you can see you know like that influence from uh temple of doom goes into goonies yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. There's something about this movie that just endures. I mean, there's some a few things that I think, oh, well, I mean, all these years later, a few things I have issues with. But overall, it really does hold up. Yeah, it's weird. I I'm mean, seeing over the last year or two, people are now going, oh, Goonies isn't a good movie. 
I don't know what the hell you guys are thinking. I'm like, first off, what the uh, fuck? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I mean, of course, there is always a bias. If I see this movie as an adult instead of a child, I do have a different perspective. Nostalgia can yeah. blind you to make a movie you watched all the time, which we watch this all the time as kids. I still remember the commercial breaks. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because we saw it off of uh, William's old tape, but then uh, he replaced that with Howard the Duck, and uh, that movie sucks. I used to love it as a kid. That movie fucking sucks. Um, See, here, yeah, the thing is, is that there's the nostalgia that's connected with it, the, the, you know, the positive childhood memories or whatever, but, but, unlike many movies that we watched as children, relentlessly, continuously, this holds up yeah. to me and a, a, most of the other ones do not and I just I think that there's I mean the special effects the the just the you know the whole adventure all of it is done well enough in for you know for the 80s that I, st I still think that like it's it's good like not just the story the the acting and the whole just like adventure of it all and the sets and all that shit is dope yeah i the one thing that drives me nuts about a lot of these kids movies is when they choose kids who are acting and i feel yeah. like what and i remember correct i think uh that richard donner got all the kids together and had them hang out for a while and go on little trips to become mm -hmm. like a little group and watch them improv with each other and that's a lot of what works in this movie instead of just getting actor kids to come in and say their lines so adorable. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think for, for most of these kids was it like their first movie? Um, I feel like Sean Astin had done a TV movie before this and Corey Feldman was already established because he was in Gremlins the year before and Friday the 13th Part uh, 4. So he had something already established but i think everybody else is brand new because i don't remember seeing carrie green i don't remember seeing josh i don't remember seeing hardly any of these people before this and just and look at how enduring the the i mean most most of this cast you know continued to act for many years after that uh some you know maybe more as kids and didn't transition to adult acting like sean astin you know had sort of like I mean, definitely acted tons as a kid, but then had, like, a resurgence after, you know, or with Lord of the Rings and everything. But, I mean, look at Josh Brolin's been, like, solid acting for just, like, quality, very popular, continuous acting for all this time. You know, Corey Feldman had a good run. Uh, you know, just so many. I mean, look, uh, Martha Plimpton has been acting for so long broadway tv shows you know just yeah. such an enduring career that started <clears throat> with kind of a goofy movie and joey pants oh yeah this is the they first time i'd ever seen joey pants i know he had done movies before I think this so too. yeah because uh uh who's the other guy um Robert DeVee, I think this is the first time I ever saw him, and they're so much fun as brothers. They hate each other's guts. Not, so it's a I good. I love the weird quirks. Yeah, their you know, juxtaposition. Weird, like, opera singing. Yeah. It's like that seems like it was like just a random like choice of his to make for his character. Uh -huh. Like he, you know, I wonder if he's just like improv that crap. And I loved the joke about him like 
excuse me, about uh, Joey Pants. I don't remember the brothers' names, whatever, the Fratelli brothers, but I don't know their first names. Uh, and how they, like, spent some of the money on his his uh, uh, toupee. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't have a toupee, but it really probably was a toupee, right? Yeah, it probably was his real I, toupee. I feel like he was wearing one at this time. I mean, you know, yes, this is definitely my, I, I'm pretty sure my first connection with him but obviously we've watched other movies for the podcast that predated this movie and i'm like oh dang he has been around for a long time but you know i think this was the first time and of course i think the association i have with him often being a bad guy or an untrustworthy character is because of this yeah and uh was it ann ramsey am i wrong yeah, Anne damn, Ramsey. Anne Ramsey. Holy shit, I've never seen her before this, and I've only seen her once after this in Throw Mama from the Train, but she yeah. fucking steals this movie. She is so She's good. so scary. <laughs> She's a tiny little woman who's terrifying. I love it when she's pulling all of the jewels and pearls out of mouth. And she's like, oh my god. <laughs> Um, every time I see her, I just want to go, Owen, you poop! Owen! <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, if nobody knows the band The Fratellis, you should probably go find them. They're, uh, they're a rock band out of what, England, and they're named after the Fratelli family. I love that band. Oh, I didn't connect that at all. Damn. I haven't listened to them in a while. I need to go revisit that. They're so good. I didn't know that that was the connection. Seriously stupid. I didn't think about that. You know, um, totally cha- changing the subject a little bit. I had read an article a couple weeks ago, uh, right, at, you know, like the day after Richard Donner passed, um, that I, I think I sent it to you that I, I thought was just so sweet. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff Cohen, uh, who is Chunk, I mean, did he do anything other than this movie? Um, I know he did a Disney movie after this. It was okay. like he, so, he gets all his wishes or something like that, and then it gets out of control. Uh-huh. So I read this article was about how Richard Donner, like, paid for him to go to college because they had this relationship even years after this movie was made. Yes. Isn't isn't that very sweet? It is really sweet. I went. I saw him uh, at the convention. He talked a lot about his relationship and the way that um, Richard Don was very protective of his kid of the kids in this movie. And yes. I mean, let's, let's talk about the the elephant in the room is Corey Feldman, and he's been very yeah. protective and trying to help him. But you read Corey Feldman's book and you see why it, he's been broken. And I wish. I don't know if he considers a safe space, but I'm sorry. He cannot sing. He cannot dance. This fucking obsession with Michael Jackson has gone on for so long, and I can't believe it. I mean, it's now permanent. I do not believe he'll shake it. It's been 30-something years, and that's why he became a joke, because he can fucking act. I think he's great, and the fact that you know he undid himself. And if you, if you watch the biography and read his book... Um, he only got busted for one drug thing. And it was one yeah. of these things that was just a stupid mistake, and then his career was destroyed. And he never made his way back. Now, you know, Corey Hain could not break it. He he was just 
it was so hard for him to cut the addiction, so you kind of get why people would hire him because you never knew if he was going to make it through a movie. There's no reason why yeah. Feldman, and I just think people look at him now as like he's an eccentric crazy, but he can still act. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, he he is so, I mean, he really is so phenomenal. Like, he did so much stuff, you know, around this age, and uh, like Stand By Me, and I mean, he's great in Lost Boys. He's great in so many things. Uh, but, you know, he spent years also trying to speak out about his abuse in Hollywood and he was speaking about this for you know years before anybody even remotely considered oh shit maybe he's telling the truth well also there I mean let's be clear there's a lot of fucked up shit in Hollywood because there's so much power and people abuse that no matter what and the fact that the person that he was trying to tell us all about which is why we'll never discuss Lucas on this show, which I mean, even though I, I love that movie, I can never watch it again yeah. because Charlie Sheen was the one that he was trying to tell people about. But Charlie Sheen oh. is worth like $300 million and he can bury Corey Feldman like nobody's business. He might have. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh. It happened on the set of Lucas and he's the one who took advantage of Corey Haim. And it's just a torturous story and I just can't believe that Whatever. It's just I feel so sorry for both of them, and yeah, it's absolutely. it's painful. But at the same time, you gotta respect the work because he's so good. He's such a good actor, and so was Corey Haim at a time. But Corey just couldn't absolutely. control himself. But, um, yeah. but it, Richard Donner would protect him, and he helped him get through AA. And he hired him for Maverick. I believe he hired him for a couple of Tales of Crypt episodes. He also hired him for that Bordello of Blood movie. Uh, which was a Tales from Crepe movie. So he's always tried to watch out for him, which I, I deeply appreciate. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so at least he's a he was a Hollywood protector. Yeah. And uh, this movie saved his career because uh, Inside Moves... So Superman was in 78. Inside Moves bombed even though it was well-received. Uh, he was this fired... This movie saved Richard Donner's career? Yes. Nobody okay. even notices that because he got fired from Superman 2. Inside Moves didn't make any money. The toy made money, but it was so expensive, and critics hated it. Lady Hawk was um, a torturous production where it kept getting delayed from release. Lady Hawk came out three months prior to Goonies and did not do well. So the Goonies was well-received by everybody and did very, very well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm just so glad because if without that, I don't think the next decade of his career would be the same because he had the Lethal Weapon franchise, Scrooge, Radio Flyer, Maverick, um, and of course uh, the two movies that didn't do very well for him, which we'll probably never discuss on the show because they're not teen-oriented, is Timeline and 16 Blocks. Timeline? You mean the amazing movie with uh, Paul Walker. Gerard Butler? Yes, that's the person you chose out of that bunch? <laughs> okay. I forgot Paul Walker's name for a tick because I'm still sad when I think about yeah. him. I'm going to be honest with you. I love that movie, but mostly because the book is freaking amazing. It's not obviously the movie is nothing compared to the book, but I still enjoy it a lot. But the book is so freaking good. You really, If you have never read it, you really should. Off topic, sorry. Yeah. Um, Do you think that Richard Donner handed, handled Sloth well? Um, I think that there's a few things that could be considered not 
appropriate now. However, I do think that overall he's a very sympathetic character. He's, you know, it's very clear that he is not a monster, that he is sweet and was not treated well by his family and very worthy of love and is given that love by these kids. So overall, yes. I think it's it's a very delicate balance, and it takes an intelligent, emotionally intelligent director to handle it right without making him the butt of jokes. Yes, and I think that I think, I mean, his family didn't treat him well, which is you know why we got some of the things in the end that were important to Sloth's development. Yeah, but. Um, overall, yes, I do think that it was handled well. There's a few, like, stupid little things that annoyed, that annoyed me when I watched it, like, the, the part where, like, Andy is like, oh, Brant, come kiss me, I'm having, I'm in, in the dark, my eyes are closed, and he's like, go see what she's babbling about, and, like, first of all, why is that your reaction? Why did you say that? And why did you send your brother? And then why was it so awkward? Why did... Oh, my God. You don't notice that the guy you like doesn't have braces? Yeah, that's really stupid, yeah. And then her... And then her friend, Martha... Played by Martha Plimpton. Like, she knew. And she still didn't say anything. She didn't explain it to her. And then... So, I mean, I'm not saying that that was, like, abusive or anything, but, I mean, she kind of unintentionally took advantage of a younger boy. And also, the part at the end where they're, like, you know, they've all survived and they've made it out and there's their parents and their families and the press and all this stuff, and they're, like, making out a little bit. And his parents, uh, what's his name? Brant? Yeah. Brand? Brandon, Brand. Anyway, and Mikey's parents are like, they're like, the dad's like, you know, oh, that's maybe not, maybe that's, should we be concerned about that? And then the mom's like, oh, let her mom worry about that. That bothered me because that basically places all the responsibility on the girl. Right. And her parents, instead of making sure that your son is acting respectfully. The, I don't uh, know. I realize that's very feminist of me to say, but uh, I just, I, I that one line, if they had not said that one thing, it probably would have not bothered me, but it was just like, the the parents of the boys, you know, it's that whole thing, the double standard thing, you know? Right. Well, the one thing that I noticed is, um, you know, they had just gone through that whole sequence where, you know, she hands his jacket back, she chooses to be with them, he's like, Andy, you goody, yeah. whatever. She makes that choice, and then Brant goes, go see what she's complaining about. Dude, that girl just chose your stupid ass. Go talk yes. to her. <laughs> yes. She's Louise. Like, I mean, you look like a jackass right now in your shorts over sweatpants and your, your, your freaking sweat headband. You look like a ding-dong, and you're riding a little baby bike, and she still chose you. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah, his reaction really pisses me off. Yeah, I think it's still a very fun movie. I'm glad they cut out the octopus sequence, which you probably didn't see. Did you Did you get the DVD or did you stream it? I have it on DVD, but I was super lazy because I didn't want to take it out of the package because uh-huh. it's still sealed. 
so I watched it on HBO. Okay. So I guess I should go back and watch the DVD because there's extra scenes. Yeah, there's an extra scene where they fight an octopus after they get uh, uh, off the... Well, they, they, I remember that line at the end where they're, where they're like rambling about all the stuff and they're like, and there was an octopus. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm still an shocked octopus. they left that in there because everybody in the theater must have been like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, but there is a sequence where they fight uh, octopus, and it just doesn't look right, um, which is a shock because Spielberg usually had the best special effects. But something about it just doesn't work, and I'm glad they cut it out. Yeah, I I just want to say that it's super interesting uh, that one of the first things in the trivia, you know how I love to read the trivia. Yes, and it says that like the freaking pirate ship was real. It said. Uh, that it was the pirate ship was entirely real all the shots were filmed in the ship after the film it was offered to anyone who would take it what no one wanted it so the ship was scrapped what that's insane doesn't, now that, that, we... <laughs> doesn't that hurt to see that yes, to hear that yeah and also that they were the richard donner refused to let them see the pirate ship prior to the scene being shot because he wanted to catch their genuine act, uh, reaction. That's cool. Which is like obviously that, yeah. genius. Yeah. But I just think it's... That that whole thing is so cool that uh, just all of it. The freaking... Oh, One-Eyed Willie. I don't know. The whole thing just so copper pot. Just a copper pot. <laughs> just a, a copper pot. I actually have uh, the key and the skull that you look through. I have, like, replicas of those. Shut up, that's cool. Yeah, they sell them, they're made out of plastic. Yeah, the, you get them at the gift shop. They're made out of resin, so you get them pretty, uh, a lot oh, cheaper. Oh, yeah. cool. If you ever go back, get me one. I should have asked you the last time we were there. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're inconsiderate, I, and I am, hate I'm you. I'm rude. Um, <laughs> I can get you a replica of the dead body from Stand By Me <laughs> if I go down to Brownsville. <laughs> You suck. Okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 1987, uh, Lost, or 1986 Lost Boys is in pre-production. Richard Donner originally planned on directing it, but decided to step away when he got the script for like, uh, Lethal Weapon. And thank goodness he did, because that was epic for him. That would carry him for the next decade. And brought in Joel Schumacher. Now, Joel Schumacher's not known for genre entertainment. Before this, he had done DC Cab and St. Elmo's Fire. And it's kind of surprised the jump in how stylish it is. The action is amazing. The special effects. He really handles it well. And, you know, you would see more of that later in his career with the Batman movies. Well, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> but, um... His, um... Yeah, his, his like, rep, you know, the, like, list of movies is so all over the place. Yeah, he was a guy who did not want to be pigeonholed to anything. Hmm. And uh, written by Jeffrey Baum, and Jeffrey Baum is the creator of the Dead Zone, or not the creator, Stephen King created the Dead Zone, but he's the one who wrote the script, and here's the weirdest thing is he didn't make a movie for another four years. Now look at 1987, he does Inner Space, Lost Boys, 88 he does Funny Farm, 89 he does Lethal Weapon 2, and Indiana Jones and the Last Career. What a fucking run that was. Did you just say the Indiana Jones and the Last Career? Did I say Career? Did I? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Crusade. Um, and they would create the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. What a run. That is amazing. Wow. That's some amazing stuff in a short period of time. Yeah. Sadly, he died in 2000 at the age of 
44. No, 50. Well, 54. Sorry, I can't do math very well. That's still way too young. Yeah. Um, so we have, of course, the updated version of Peter Pan, a horror version of it, of the kids who won't grow up, the Lost Boys. And I, this is an entertainment fucking machine. And I can't believe the guys who opened Monster Squad two weeks after this didn't go, uh-oh, pull back. Let's wait for Halloween. <laughs> that was a terrible mistake. How how long after um, Goonies was Lost Boys? Just the next year? No, two years later. So uh, June okay. of 85 is when Goonies came out. And July of uh, 87 is when Lost Boys came out. So is that part of the reason why Monster Squad, like... Like, to me, like, we watched that movie all the time. I had no idea that it wasn't, like, a big thing. Yeah. Now it's kind of, you know, nostalgia has made it more popular. But is that part of the reason because of the timing? And, like, you can't compete with fucking Lost Boys. No. Well, here's the thing is we have uh, an obsession with the 80s the way that our parents had an obsession with the 50s. Um, I can't wait for us to stop being obsessed with the 80s. I think it's finally starting to die down. Um, you don't mean us personally. You mean our generation? Our generation, yes. Our generation's okay. obsession with the 80s, and they do champion movies, especially movies um, that were kind of uh, underseen or lost. You know, uh, Monster Squad was one of those that was very hard to find on VHS for the longest time, and it took, like, what, way too long to come out on a DVD so it kept building this word of mouth people yeah. want to champion movies you don't really need to champion Goonies or Lost Boys because they were hits they played on HBO nonstop. every party you knew with friends rented one or the other and Monster mm -hmm. Squad was one of those where it was like have you seen this you never heard of this I gotta find my copy and then you bring it with you and uh, yeah. so I think that's why it's been championed so much now but it costs basically the same as Lost Boys but it came from a smaller company that could not promote as well, and it was just run over by the competition. So I, I believe Monster Squad made like $3 million, whereas uh, uh, Lost Boys made 32 in America alone. Um, this is a really stupid thing for me, but I literally have never put together the whole Peter Pan Lost Boys thing. Oh, wow. I don't know why. You're the, I yeah, you're the never, one that's literate. Never thought me. about that until <laughs> you just said that. However, I did notice the Frog Brothers. One was Edgar and one was Alan. I assumed it was a reference to Edgar Allan Poe, um, and it does say that that is the basis of their names. But I don't. I'm. I mean, it seems so obvious now that you say that, but I did never ever thought about it. I've seen this movie at least twenty times. Yeah. And uh, here's the most interesting thing. The star of this movie is not the one that people talk about. Whenever you talk about this movie, it's always about the two Corys and, and Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. And no one yes. ever mentions, you know, Jason Patrick is the main character. He is the yeah. star. And it's so funny how every single time that he would start to get some heat on him, it's yes. like he purposely uh -huh. derailed his career. Did you, did you ever notice that? Yeah, like he was afraid of success, like too much success, and then he'd go and make like fucking Speed 2. Yeah, but then he had all that heat <laughs> on him. People thought he was going to be the next big thing before that movie came out, and then he just started doing like independent films just to bring it back down. Yeah. After NARC, he disappeared again. He kept doing this. Oh, yeah. And maybe, um, maybe he just, he didn't want, you know, people, want, some people want fame or their career on their own terms. Yeah. It's well, and here's the thing is he's a second generation actor. 
his father played the priest, the, the younger priest in The Exorcist. Jason Miller was his father. And hmm. um, his little brother was in a bunch of movies like River's Edge and Near Dark, oh, Death Warrant. He's, I, I forgot we did talk about that. Yeah, he's the one who wrote ago. Final Girls in uh, in a way to deal with his own father's fame and, and early death and, you know, one hit wonder kind of success. Hmm. So, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally, I remember now you telling me about that. Um the interesting thing this is interesting it says that the movie was made in three weeks no 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 it says it no it says it was filmed in only three weeks i don't know if it's true i don't know that everything on imdb is true i don't know how it could be but yeah unless you're talking like there's a lot of photography that was you know had to do with like special effects i mean because that had to take forever so maybe they're not I mean, what that. about like even like the the motorcycle chase sequence would have taken a while, you know the the special effects with like them, you, you know, know outside I, the window. Yeah. I don't know. I got an idea. Maybe they mean the photography in Santa Cruz, which now that's a location maybe. that both you and I have been to, and we played at that putt putt in the, that arcade of quite a few times. And they have an office where they have a big old poster of Lost Boys and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which are both shot in Santa Cruz. Nice. But um, um, I, was, I was wondering if they did, meant like that was the shooting in Santa Cruz because, you know, a lot of this is probably on a soundstage. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think it, it the information's too vague. I just thought that was... I'm curious about that. Uh, did you think it was weird or did you notice... That in, um, there's a few things that I thought were super strange in this movie. That Corey Haynes' character seems to be gay? Oh, I didn't even catch that part. I, I, I guess I need to pay more attention. He to has a lot of posters of men oh, in sexy positions. Yes. He, he has a poster of Rob Lowe in his bedroom. That was one of the things I was going to say. Why would he have a poster of Rob Lowe in his bedroom? It's not just Rob Lowe. I thought I saw quite a few, and I that's don't. That's the only one I noticed. Yeah, I wonder if that's just like an undercurrent kind of thing that they never say it out loud. That 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 could be part of his character. They just don't say, or the studio Maybe. wouldn't let them say. The other thing is, while it is one of the, to me, one of the most endearing scenes in the movie. When he is in the bathtub and he is singing with his and his dogs there, I it's got so no cute. Home. I got it's no so man. it's so cute. But how old is this kid supposed to be? 13? 14? And his brother's like, you need to go take a bath. He's not like six years old. What the hell? Well, maybe was... maybe Michael's character refuses to let him grow up, or what if he's one of those babied kind of? T- I mean, in real life, he was kind of babied by his mother. And maybe that's just one of these yeah. things where they don't let him grow up. It was just weird. I was just like, wait a minute, how old is this kid? <laughs> uh, that scene uh, where uh, he meets the Frog Brothers and they work at a comic book store on yes. on the boardwalk, I think is one of the coolest things. I was like, and when I was a kid, I wanted to own a comic book shop on a boardwalk. Yeah. Of course, it's not Santa it's Cruz, just, it's I... Santa Clara. It's like a fictional version of it. Right. Because I'm pretty sure Santa Cruz I'm, wouldn't like people saying it's the murder capital of the world. <laughs> uh, yeah. Plus, Santa Clara, guess what? You're not the only movie that has claimed that its town is the murder capital of the world. What's so no the other worries. one? 
I mean, I feel like lots of things say that. Oh, okay. the vampire was led about Sunnydale, you know? That's true. Hellmouth. But, you know, Sunnydale could very easily be Santa Cruz, too. That's true. You never, re- you never really know exactly where it is. I don't think, I don't think it's, it's not Santa Cruz, because they're not by the water. Yeah, I always thought they were in the valley. I what? I always thought it was set in the valley, in the valley yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was never quite sure where they were supposed to. San Luis Obispo? Not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Uh. Anyway, uh, was this the first time that you were introduced to, um, oh gosh. Alex Winter? Um, I was going to say Edward Herman. Oh, yes. Definitely with him. Uh, that is the first time. I, and then for me, forever, he is locked in as this role. And I know that, you know, of course, Gilmore Girls is probably the most known for a lot of people. Uh, I just yeah, see I him as, so. as, it's just a nicer version of the character. Because he's really nice in this until the very end. And even then, he's, he's a little nice. He's a little creepy, but also, you're right, still, like, almost hard to believe that he was a bad guy. Which yeah. I guess is part of the point. Right, he's very congenial. And his, like, his, like thought process for the whole thing was, like... The boys need a mother, and like, well, that's kind of sweet. Yeah, he just wants to build a family of bloodsuckers. Yeah. And Diane Weist, oh my god, is she just the best in this? She's just, you know, I have mixed feelings about Diane Weist. I'm not really sure why, but she's just so sweet in this movie, and just like, uh, I think I my major thoughts about her are this and Edward Scissorhands. I guess they were fairly close together, right? And um, just like just how sweet she is overall in both of those roles, just so loving and and gentle. <laughs> it's weird to think that I'm now like at the age where I'm like, oh, I'd be dating a younger woman if I was dating Diane Weiss because I think she's like 36 or something. It's just so strange to think that. Oh wow, huh? Yeah, you don't really think about stuff like that. You're. Uh, Especially, in my opinion, the 80s were exceptionally unflattering. The styles of hair and clothing and makeup and everything were exceptionally unflattering for, for most people, especially women, that, in fact, many of them look much younger in the 2000s and later trends than they yeah. did in the 80s. So everybody looks way older than they are, in my opinion. Right. Well, at least she has a haircut that holds up, like the way that uh, D. Wallace Stone, her, her shorter, and J- Jamie Lee Curtis, her yeah. shorter hair. She was forty. No, she was. She was thirty-eight when she made Lost Boys. That's bizarre to hmm. me. Six years younger than me. Oh, oh my well, God! I've gotten so old. <laughs> that is kind of weird, actually. But at least it, she was actually like she was an appropriate age. To have those kids. Right. You know? Which is something that is not very consistent in movies and and really annoys me. Like, you are not old enough to have these children. Can you please just cast appropriately? Yeah, and and Jason Um, Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland were at least near teenager. They were 20 at the time of production, which if you look at a lot of 80s movies, a lot of these teenagers were pushing 30. Yeah, that's not bad when I've compared to some of the stuff I've seen. Yeah. Um, 
this man who plays the grandpa, <laughs> Bernard Hughes. Yes. What's he from? Like, what's the thing that I'm he pretty did? sure like, he's from he, Blossom. He's isn't on he a the, show. Isn't oh, he the grandpa okay. from Blossom? Am I wrong? I can't remember what I felt like he was on a TV show that we watched, but I couldn't remember what. But damn, isn't this? Oh yes, you're right. He is the grandpa. Uh, but isn't this just like the like such a choice role? Like just so juicy and silly, and just like like it's, he's so bonkers. But it must have been so fun to play him yeah. with his old ass car that he like doesn't even drive. He's just like let's just run it for a second and turn it off because. I don't ever want to go in town, but he doesn't tell you why. Uh, and his creepy, creepy like animals that he keeps leaving uh, next to next to Sam's bed, and he just keeps shoving them in the closet because they're terrifying. Yeah. And um, and then he, of course, he has the the best line in the whole movie, even though uh, lots of other things get quoted way more. Where it's just like, you know, whatever, Santa Clara is a great town, except for those vampires. You're like, fuck, Grandpa, could you have told us when we moved I in? know, it seems like something that he would have said in the first place. Like, don't go into town at night, <laughs> stay home. <laughs> why, why did he just tell them well, that? Like, this is why I don't go into town. Yeah. Jesus. Um, my oh. friend Ken, uh, uh, every single one of his podcasts starts off with the line, if I have a TV guide, I don't need a TV. <laughs> Exactly. So eccentric it's and weird. So ridiculous. Or what is it? He sprays on himself like Lysol or something. Like that? I got a hot date tonight. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Oh yeah, he's such a fun role, and I just really think the movie holds up. It's. All, I remember this is one of the very first horror movies I ever saw. Um, I don't yes, remember. You I were not so. with me. I don't even remember how this even happened. But our parents took went to a party with friends to play cards. And I went with them for some reason. I don't know where you were. But um, I just watched TV in the living room, and I caught the end of uh, RoboCop, and then I watched Lost Boys after it, and I kept looking to see if my parents would notice that I'm watching a horror movie. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's a lot of life. Are they going to see this? And I, just, I, I was with Grandma, probably. Probably. And uh, then like a year later, we were allowed to rent it, and uh, I, I remember watching it with Alex Raftree, and we thought, we're like, oh my god, we're watching like an R-rated movie, The Real Blood. And... Uh, it was just so amazing. That's like, uh, and I'd seen it after Monster Squad because I knew that I was mentally prepared somewhat because Monster Squad had just given me that that window into more monsters and, and blood and guts. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I lost my train of thought. But it was just, it was, it's one of these movies that I remember, like Goonies, they kept saying forever, there's going to be a sequel, there's going to be a sequel. And it was going to be The Lost Girls, and Joel Schumacher just couldn't get the right script. And they were going to bring the Frog, bra uh, Frog Brothers back to take on, you know, female vampires and whatever. It never happened. So, you know, fast forward 20-something years and no one wants to be involved except Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. But Corey Haim was still coming off of drugs and he could only be in a cameo. So we do have 2 and 3, which are fine movies. 2 basically is the first movie again. Um, and they, they tease it that there's going to be a fourth one where they take on werewolves, but that never happened. And I don't think it ever will happen. But... It's one of those yeah. franchises that could have been. There was comic books, there were sequels, but it's just so many factors. Jason Patrick obviously was not a sequel kind of guy, except Speed 2, because they probably offered him a shitload of money. Everybody else is basically dead, or um, a studio would not hire them. Yeah. Jimmy so, Gertz, by the way. I, 
I remember what you say. It's Jamie Gertz. This is kind of her breakout because mostly we knew who are, knew her as what Muffy Tipper, Tufferman or whatever from Square Pegs, and she's so wildly oh, different yeah. in this. Yeah, I forgot about that Muffy. Oh God. <laughs> it I'm so me. yeah. Go ahead, say what you're gonna say. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, I was just gonna just was trying to look at those other those other Lost Boys movies to try to get my head wrapped around it. Because, like, okay, I'm looking at IMDb, and it says... Uh, the one that... I remember watching Lost Boys The Tribe. So is that basically, like, the first one over again? Is that what you're saying? It kind of is. They try to repeat a lot of elements. What they're... I, I believe that they're trying to say is they cast... Kiefer Sutherland's brother as the main villain and that he was supposed to be David's brother. Um, uh, okay. But he must have been bitten by somebody else because he wouldn't be a vampire anymore if Edward Herman is dead. That's the, the mythology they build True. in this one. They kind of did that with Fright Night as well. Is And I think that was kind of like yeah. the hammer rule is that if you hadn't killed somebody yet and you were bitten, you could still change back if the mm-hmm. master was killed or something like that. Um uh, okay, so then that's the only one I've seen. So what is Lost Boys the Thirst? Uh, and then I see another one called Lost Boys the New Breed. Is that part of it too? I don't know what the hell that is. Um, I'll have to look that up. Okay, but okay. let me back to the other one though. Um, so Sorry. the children that are in that, or the teenagers that are in the second one, are supposed to be the children of Star and Michael. Oh, and they're killed okay. in a car crash, and the whole time Kiefer Sutherland's brother is playing a character who's trying to get revenge in some way, which is ridiculous because they're not even connected. They weren't part of it. They weren't even born yet. Um, and yeah. they get and they get Edgar Frog's uh, help uh, to take him down, and they they lead at the end saying that Alan was bitten, his brother was bitten, yes. and, and and he's dead, and uh, that Corey Haim's character was also taken, but he shows up in a cameo at the end. He was supposed to be in the third one. Right. But by right. then, he was so in just unhirable, couldn't remember a line to save his life. So they switched the story over to Edgar is trying to save Alan from yeah. a vampire cult. And he you know gives him like a blood transfusion. And they go on the hunt to kill the master so that he can truly be free. Mm. I, I don't know what the new breed is. That's a, that's completely uh, fresh to me. This... This is, oh, this is 2018, nine minutes. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. And I remember they were trying to, years. they talked to Sci-Fi Channel about doing a show, and that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, I don't recognize anyone in this, even and it's only nine minutes. Yeah, but probably a fan the, film. The plot, yeah, that sounds like what it is, because the description is like, 30 years later, the vampire plague has spread from Santa Clara to Keensburg, New Jersey. Joyzy. Let's make Jersey worse. Lost Boys yeah. versus the Jersey Devil and the Blair Witch. I don't know if Blair Witch is in New Jersey. I can't remember. I don't know. Oh I don't no, I think it's Burkittsville, um, Massachusetts, or something like that. I don't. I don't know if I have anything else to say about these two movies. Um, I will say this: anytime I hear the movie "People" are, or hear the song "People Are Strange," I don't yeah, think of the Doors. Uh, I always think of this movie. Yes, that makes sense to me too. Yeah, and this this kind of changed, I think, horror movies because it had action-style cuts, which was not really a thing. Fright Night, you see a little bit of it, but it's still a throwback to older horror movies. It's mostly about dragging it out and making it more horrifying. What this and um, Monster Squad both did 
was give it buddy cop kind of aesthetic with the dialogue. Really poppy, really funny. Um, yeah. And, and the action sequence, especially the preparation scenes. Both have the prep scenes where they're you know getting the, the weapons ready and their house prepared, yes. whatever. I love. Except this movie doesn't have bop until you drop like Monster Squad does, which fucking rules. Bop until you drop. Dance, Dance until, until your feet, feet fall off. Go, 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 go. I just, I, I was, when I was watching this yesterday, I think it was yesterday, message you and just say, man, I, I forgot about the funny elements of the movie and, uh, you know, how good Corey Haim really was. Like, he was probably, like, one of my really, for him and um, um, Andre Gower were probably, like, my first real, like, little kid crushes, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, we've and, talked about those magazines. He... Andre Gower was yeah. only a blip in comparison yes. to Corey Haim because Corey True. Haim was so fucking big. I don't know anybody else that covered magazines for so long. Maybe in the 90s, like Joey Lawrence or something like that. But if you were reading I mean, these magazines... I mean, Johnny Depp was on those covers for a really damn long time. He too, hated yes. it, too, though. He did not embrace it. He wouldn't do interviews. Right. They would just take paparazzi pictures of him. Um, yeah. But Corey Haim embraced this. And, you know, yeah. you, what, you started reading these like in 86 or 87. Because I know you read it before um, these movies came out. Because I remember seeing the promos for Monster Squad coming up. Yeah, and, I don't know. I was like, I was like seven years old reading yeah. like Teen Beat or whatever. Yeah. Shit like that. Yeah, so It was like 86 but... to 89 or 90 is when you were reading those. And I just remember everything was Corey Haim. Of course, I was reading it because I was in love with Alyssa Milano. <laughs> well, duh. I mean, who wouldn't be? She was hot. Yeah. She's still hot. Yes, she is. Um, But my point of bringing that up is just like, it's just, I know we've already mentioned this like you know the, the the path that he went down because of you know whatever the pain he was going through or just you know way too much access to things as a young a young person in Hollywood or both I don't know a lot of people are just not really telling just, him no just not telling him right no. yeah just it's just such a shame because he really was a true talent he is so charming so funny just so, seems so like authentic and like you were saying you know, he he wasn't like an actor delivering a line. Like he really seems so natural. I just love him so much, and forgot how how funny and just like goofy and sweet and a kid he was in this movie. But just some killer lines, and his delivery is incredible. Yeah, and there's two and versions. Love... There's two ver- well, actually three versions of Corey Haim. There's the sensitive yeah. one that we see like in Firstborn. Silver Bullet, Lucas, and that TV show. Uh, yes. Do you remember the TV show they aired a bunch with him and the guy from Rocky? Where they were in college, no. like he was way too young, like he was 15 in college, and he was like 50, and, he, and they were roommates. And that was, I think it was called undergrads or something like, or roomies maybe. Um, no, I don't know. There's there's that version of him, and then the minute Lost Boys came out, there was the fun, goofy one that you saw through this, through... Uh, License to Drive and Dream a Little Dream, and then there's yeah. the after that where he could not find his footing. He's doing sex thrillers, horror movies, trying to do dramas and comedies, and nothing stuck. And it, it yeah. there was a golden period, and in you know the the two Corys they had their period, and trying to recapture it later was the part that was a mistake, and that they were permanently locked now as the two Corys for the end of time. Yeah. 
It's so weird because you see duos like that, and the only other one I can think of is like Cheech and Chong. <laughs> well, they're still forever tied together, so. Yeah. Um, um, what do you I think? I think, yeah, Silver Bullet's like, like the true, like, that is my version of Corey. Yeah. Um, I just love him so much. Of the two movies, which one do you I, prefer? Um, Goonies, I guess. Same. I don't know. They're both They're just so have good, good yeah. repeat value. Yeah. But I think uh, because of the um, maggot scene alone, oh. I would prefer to watch Goonies more often. Maggots and worms. <laughs> Micah. You know what I think is really strange? And I think that the reason why people focus on the Corys more, even though Jason Patrick really is the main character of this movie, it's because they are more presenting what is happening to Michael through the eyes of Sam. That's because, true. He, I mean, they he is a real hero. About, if you think about yeah, it, they, him and the Frog Brothers yeah. are the progressive, not the progressive, they're right. the... Um, uh, protagonist? Pro, yeah, the protagonist because they go on the offense and then they're forced yes, to go on so, defense and they're prepared. Yes, they keep showing you and... Te- well, they're not... Like, that's the thing. They're telling you about things that are happening to Michael through Sam's eyes because most of that shit they don't show you the night after night after night of him going out and coming in and sleeping until noon they really only there's really only like three scenes where you see what Michael is actually doing in those nighttime ex- escapades true and, all, and Michael has no chemistry told you... through Sam and what he is afraid is happening or yeah. you know so I think it really is partially about the perspective and I don't know if like it was a, a missed opportunity uh, to show so little, or maybe it was really the right way to go about it, so that you that there was the mystery that you didn't know how far Michael had gone, you don't know how deep he was in, you don't really know what he was doing. It's because you're seeing that from a you know a viewpoint of a very uh, very fearful, loving little brother. Yeah. Well, and it seems okay. So Jason Patrick is a great actor. I really do appreciate when he decides yes. to, to show up on something, but <laughs> he has no chemistry with anybody whatsoever. He really his. You can see Kiefer is fucking burning the screen. He is melting him off the screen. It is Kiefer's yeah. show when it's when it's focused on them because I, mm-hmm. Kiefer's never been hot ever. But there is a seductive, <laughs> there is a seductive quality that he has in this that he's never had outside of this movie. It's his voice. A part of it is, and, and by on, the way, Michael. Yeah, do you know how many times I heard this in middle school? My name, you know, that it was red hot when this movie came out, and everybody's like, Michael. It's like, yeah, I get they, it, all right. They say his name 119 times in this movie. Oh my god, both IMDb. movies! I forgot, Mikey. Is the lead of Goonies, and I remember that a thousand times. Yep. Hey, yo, Mikey, you gotta go pee. You gotta go pee. <sighs> it's better than what I heard all the time. What? Curly Sue? Hey, Mindy. Hey, Mindy, where's Mark? Really? Are you shitting me? You never told me that. Oh yeah, I heard all. Which the time is a curse was because my name was was Mike for the longest time, so it was Mike and Mindy, Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. I'm sorry. I said thanks, Mom. I know, but but I'm still connected to you. I should have just ran away. It's it's better. Mom almost named me Mandy, which is worse. Oh, everybody be singing that fucking song to you. And now with that Nicolas Cage movie, everybody be singing that too. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm fine with it. Like, it's obscure enough, yeah. you know? All right, so that is it for... Wow, we went an hour. I think this is the longest episode we've done in a long time. But two excellent movies. I don't know what we have up next. We talked about something that we pushed aside to do this because Richard Donner died. What was it? I don't know, dude. We'll just have to revisit our list because I can't ever remember. (laughs) I got the brain of a chicken and she's really busy. (laughs) Check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. And that is it for tonight. Have a good one.